Hey, I love that line that, that Douglas said, um, it's not good for man to be alone. And there's a couple different reasons I've always believed for that phrase. Number one, when we're alone, guys do just really stupid things. Um, we just do. That's where America's Funniest Home Videos came from. Guys, right, without their wives at home for the weekend, and somebody ends up in the hospital. But there's another reason that, 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 that we're not supposed to be alone, and, and we're, we're going to dig into that uh, this morning. Um, like any house... Um, our, our sermon series is called Our House. Um, like any house, there's, there's some fundamental values, right, that guide those living in that house, right? It, it guides their lives. Um, either these values are spoken, unspoken, taught, or just, just caught, right? Um, and, and these fundamental values, and again, they're in every house. They're different, different values. They make claims on our time and our money and our resources, right? They're, they're, they're limits, Right? These, these fundamental values and rules that all, all houses have. Um, for my house, um, I, I just kind of thought about it for a little bit, and I came up with, I just wanted to come up with four for no other reason but for four. Uh, faith in Jesus, education, family, and respect for others. That, th- those were like the fundamental values in my house. And I decided um, as I was kind of looking through everything, I, 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 I wonder if I'm accurate, right? Because we all have these very faulty memories about our childhood. Um, so I, I texted my brothers and sisters and said, hey, list four things that you think mom and dad taught us or wanted us to catch if they didn't teach us. What, what, were, what were the values? And, and it was amazing. It was, I was very, very surprised. I was very, very happy. It was very, very similar to mine. One, uh, church, family, truth, always be ready to help somebody. Another one was love, integrity, honesty, and kindness. And again, the ones I come up with, faith in, in Jesus, education, family, and respect for others, right? So we, we had amazing amount of freedom. Sometimes when I tell my wife the amount of freedom that we had as kids, she just like, she falls over. Like, what is wrong with your parents, right? But we had this, all this freedom, but we had to live within these limits, these, these guardrails, I, I think is a good word for them, guardrails. They weren't meant to hurt us. They were meant to keep us safe and to help ha- that we would have a healthy, happy, right, childhood. Now, other houses... They had other values. I recognize this very quickly growing up in a little cul-de-sac. There was a house, not at the end of the cul-de-sac, but out toward the main road. And you take a right and a couple houses down, there was a house there. And their fundamental values, as close as I can figure this out, were violence, fear, intimidation, and shame. Like I would go to this kid's house and, and I would just be on edge, right? Because you never knew what was going to happen next. Now, what, what was wild is that family had a lot of freedom too, but they had to live within those fundamental values, right? If they did something in their freedom, they had to be prepared for an angry alcoholic father to start screaming and then the, 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 the hardcore fundamentalist Christian mom going back at it and then the kids like, I'm out of here. <laughs> this, place is, this place is scary, Right, and then what was really weird is there was another kind of home too, and this one, and in my memory, is on my block. It was at the end of the cul-de-sac, right? It, and there was a family that lived there for a while, and and they appeared to have no values whatsoever, right? It was just it was just kind of a, a free for all, um, no rules, no values imposed whatsoever. Do whatever you want. So in our series, we're exploring four fundamental values that should define us as a family, right? That should define our house. Right? When folks ask about this church, these are the things that we want saying about us behind our back. Right? The first thing, last week we looked at church, we are image bearers of God. Um, we've been commissioned to share God. And then in the New Testament, we've been commissioned to share his son, Jesus Christ. 
And we share and we image God the same way that Jesus shared and imaged God, by bringing light and life to what was once darkness and death, by way of a love and mercy and grace found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, correct information, doctrine, theology, that's all super, super important. It has its place and it has its time, but more often than not, those kind of discussions don't have a happy home as we're trying to reach people with Christ. Now, they will come up. The people we're talking to and we're loving, they're going to ask, why are you doing this? Right? We can then explain. But to lead with, you need to believe this, and you need, yeah, it's kind of a losing strategy in our world today. Um, so this week, so last week, commission. Um, this week, as a church, a second fundamental value we hold Right, that guides our very lives as a family is community. Right? We are the community. And when I say that, think the Ohio State. Anybody football fans out there? Like the one and only. Right? We are the community that proclaims and models the kingdom that Jesus ushered in. Right? And in doing so, something crazy amazing happens to us. And that's what I want to explore this morning. Now, if we're to understand community as um, all the people living in an area, right? That, that's one definition of community. Tri-cities is a community, right? But for our purposes this morning, there's another description of the word community, another um, description. Um, describes community as a group or groups of people who have common interests, right? Who share common interests, which, which begs the question, what kind of interests, right, are held in common in different communities, right? You would think, well, everybody's got love, and no, not at all. That, that's not the values of a lot of houses out there, right? Like my house, we had fairly healthy and stable common interests, right? You got to have good grades. You went to church, and you, you know, if you, you, if you did that, things went fairly well at our house. Um, other houses, they had very scary, chaotic common interests, and again, in some houses, they held nothing in common whatsoever, right? No one really seemed to be in charge or calling the shots. They simply lived in the same area, right? The most basic, basic definition of community that we can come up with, that's all they got to have in that house. I mean, this is kind of what I saw. I could have been wrong, right? They were all free to do as they pleased, which got me thinking about the state of affairs in our nation, right? Is there any tie that still binds our nation together. Any, any common interest at all, right? You watch TV, you watch the news, and you're just kind of thinking, I don't know if there's any left, right? What is the tie that binds? In 1847, Anne Bronte, maybe you guys, some of you read, uh, in her book, Agnes Grace, she wrote this. The ties that bind us to life are tougher than you imagine, or than anyone who can who has not felt how roughly they may be pulled without breaking. And my thought was, it seems as a nation, we're running low on ties that still bind us together without breaking. And, and for the church, right, this issue is crucial, just, just so important, right? If we have no ties that bind us without breaking, then our commission is dead in the water. We're not going to be able to fulfill the commission that God gave us. We, we simply won't be able to do it. to do an internet search. The things that unite us. And the idea in the back of my mind, and it, it worked, <laughs> or else I wasted a half a day, um, 
Just, just looking at the things that unite us. I read about half a dozen different articles. I, I read conservative article writers, liberal writers. I mean, the whole nine yards. And what's crazy is the list was very, very similar. And this, this I've summarized this. Again, this is about a half a dozen articles kind of all over the spectrum. Um, number one, free movement of ideas and information, right? This is the idea of the rise of the nerds, the rise of the geeks, right? A world of information and power and evil, at their fingertips. Any age, harmful, doesn't matter, harmful or not, any information, true or not, right? If you have the technology, you are the master of your domain. You do not need anybody else. That's the mindset. I don't need anybody. I got my phone. <sighs> Freedom of lifestyle, right? Jobs, marriages, they're not, last, not meant to last forever, right? There goes... The ties that bind there. Freedom from others and freedom for others. Right? This is the idea that I'm not my brother's keeper and my brother is not my keeper either. <laughs> that's his business and that's my business. And to each his own. And then freedom from leadership. Right? We have a crisis in leadership. Seems like every institution that has been stable in the past they all seem to have gone off the rails, depending on who you ask, right? Every, everybody's just, just, everything's just kind of got higgly-piggly, kind of crazy. Um, priests, rabbis, doctors, presidents, I don't know, doesn't, don't, don't matter who, who the leader is, if they don't have all the answers, then they don't have any answers, right? That's kind of the mindset. So psh, leadership, nope, don't want to listen to anybody. I will decide for myself 100%. I will do what's right in my own eyes. Anybody recognize that? That's from the book of Judges when the people decided we don't want anyone telling us what to do. And you read the book of Judges and what a mess. What a mess. They were just, it was horrible. Now, is anybody seeing it, right? The irony in all of this. Essentially, from all corners of the spectrum, it's freedom, right? The, the one tie that binds us is freedom from the ties that bind us. Are y'all recognizing this, right? This is the value that we in America are, are rushing headlong towards. Nobody has any ties on me. Nobody has any claims on me whatsoever. Membership, church membership, institute, all that. Nope, 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 me. I am the master of my own domain. Here's my point. Christians have unconsciously, I, I think, and un intentionally, I, I think, um, bought into the world's idea of freedom, right? When we look in the Bible, we think of freedom, it's so easy to buy into the world's idea of freedom. It's important that we make a clear, very, very clear distinction between biblical freedom, what Paul talks about, and what, well, what's talked about in Genesis all the way at the very beginning. And then there's this other idea of liberty. Let me explain by way of Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Listen to this. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, everybody knows this passage, but a lot of us miss the significance of this passage right? Your freedom to flourish in the garden is dependent on some limits or claims on that freedom. I've put you in the garden and I've given you some guardrails because I don't want you going off the end. I don't want you going off the deep end. I don't want you, right, going nuts. Guardrails. They're not to meant to spoil your fun. They're not meant to rob you of anything except death. 
These claims, these limits, what he calls his plan for us, right, is for your benefit, right, to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. But if you liberate yourself, listen very carefully, if you liberate yourself from these limits or claims or this plan that I have for you, you will no longer be free to live the amazing life I had planned for you. And I don't know if that makes sense. The liberties that you took from the limits and claims that I had planned for you robbed you of the freedom to live the life I had planned for you. Many times we have this, this, this idea of liberty, and it's, a lot of times it's a political idea of liberty. And it's this idea that life, whoever is experiences this idea of liberty, is living a life in which they've been able to break free from any claims that anyone or anything has made on them outside of themselves, right? They are liberated from all claims, okay? Get that idea, that, that, that liberating word. Um, biblical freedom, on the other hand, enables a person for a task or a purpose by way of very explicit, specific claims placed on them by God. Bible study, prayer, corporate worship, service, do good, don't do evil, right? Sometimes very, very person-specific and sometimes just everybody in general, right? Do these things, don't do those things. One last example, trying to get this idea behind biblical freedom and this idea that we have of liberty. Um, this summer, I was at Liberty to ride skateboards, <clears throat> But because I had taken liberties of some physical fitness claims on my body, regular exercise, right? I was, it turns out, not free to ride skateboards this past summer, right? You get the idea. Yeah, you're, you have the liberty to do things, but if you don't take those liberties seriously, if you indulge in them, you are no longer free, free to do what you had planned to do. You're enslaved to those liberties that you took, and you're, you're no longer free. So we have this idea of biblical freedom. And I want to couple it with Paul's idea of biblical community, right, from his letter to the Ephesians. Um, lots of Paul's theology is focused on images and metaphors attempting to explain this, the, the local body of Christ, right? What, what makes it work? And, and more to the point, for our purposes this morning, a lot of Paul's focus is what is the tie that binds, right, that doesn't break, the body of Christ. What is that tie? And I know a lot of you think, well, love. Hold on. You have to back up just a little bit. Um, the point of the entire letter up to chapter 4 is that Jesus is brought into the disunited world, unity. Him alone can bring unity to the world, right? He is the common interest, right? He's the singularity, the tie that binds, the thing that can unite us, right? Pax Romana and all the other totalitarian governments and all that, no, they will always fail because they cannot command our allegiance the way that Christ can. Paul then claims that the church is the community, not just a community, Right? We're the community tasked, called, commissioned, and equipped. We're proclaiming and modeling this message to the world. And then in chapter 4, which is where I want to jump in right now, chapter 4, Paul begins to work through the tension between individuals and then us as a whole. Right? Where do we draw the line between me and you all? Right? Should there be a, a definite line or are, should we consider ourselves literally one. 
I want to start in Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And as I read through this, listen to the, what he says about the ideas, kind of the, the echoes of what I've been talking about, ideas of freedom and liberty. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, first thing I want to point out, uh, super important to recognize, this is a letter. It's to a group. It's not to an individual. So it would be very, very wise of you because it's very, very obvious in the Greek, but it's not so obvious in, in our translations. This letter, whenever you see the word you, I want you just to use the term all y'all. Because that is literally what Paul is saying. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge all y'all. Now, you notice that. You, I'm, I'm talking to you as one. That's super crucial here. I urge all y'all to live a life worthy of the calling all y'all have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. You see how it's all connecting. Be bearing with one another in love. Now, if we take this individually, the letter, the letter loses its main point. Or it loses all its power. The point of the letter is that we have power as a body, not as individuals. That's the whole point. So as you read some of Paul's letters and you think this is a personal promise for me as an individual, be very, very careful. It would be more helpful if you thought about how does this promise apply to me as a member of my local church. Then you're going to probably make a lot more sense of the passage, whatever passage you're looking at, in nearly any of Paul's letters, Right? All that Paul alludes to is never found individually. It's always discovered and appropriated or owned by way of community. For example, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, right? He's saying that in two different ways. Number one, he's sitting in prison. He is literally a prisoner of the Lord. We're fairly certain when he writes some of these letters, he's sitting in prison. But he's also pointing out that I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a claim on me. And in fact, I'm going to allow him to make a 100% claim on my life. I am his prisoner. He can claim anything he wants in my life, and I simply say, here it is. I'm his prisoner. He has a 100% claim on me, and I got no problem with it right there. I urge you all to live a life worthy of the calling you all have received. I urge you all to follow God's plan for your life. It will be epic. And then be completely humble and gentle and be patient, right? This is tolerance. Now, you can't do it begrudgingly, right? right? You can't do it passively like, oh, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Right? That's, that's really not what's going on here. And we can't do it fatalistically, right? Well, you, you can never change something. You're not even going to bother. You're a basket case and not even Jesus can help you, right? We, we can't go down any of those roads. Bearing with one another in love, that is really hard when a lot of people have very, very closely held opinions and then verse 3, this is, this, is a, this is a good one. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, right? Actions like being humble and gentle and patient and tolerant, those are actions, not just ideas. Those are things that we actively do to keep the peace. Now, very, very important here, right? We only keep the peace. This is, this is huge, right? The Spirit is the one that produces the peace, right? And if we try to produce peace, we fail, because we don't have enough common interest. We don't have anything that everybody else pledges allegiance to, Christ. We wrongly believe that if we just love each other, everything will be hunky-dory, but that's simply not true. Love isn't the glue that holds the world together because the fact of the matter is a lot of things that you love don't love you back, right? We know this. There's a lot of things that I love, and they do not love me back. They hurt me, and they hurt other people. 
But by golly, I just kind of love them. <laughs> just to be honest with you. Right, this is also important because we attempt to create or keep the peace without the unifying work of the Spirit. Right, we really have nothing in common with which to keep the peace. And then he drives this point home in the next few verses. There's only one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, all y'all were called. When all y'all were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? There can be no other body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, or baptism. There can be no other competing claims on our lives. That's got to be the top claim. A lot of people, they, they, right, the claims of family, I hear that a lot, right? I, my family, that's the most important, then, then church. And it's like, oh, I'm just, I, I struggle with it just a little bit, just a little bit, because it seemed to me that Christ made it very, very important, very, very clear, right, that this is your family. And unless you've learned to love me properly, this isn't going to work. Right? But if you love me first, I'll show you how to love each other, even though you're all crazy different people, radically different people. And then there's the showstopper. This is the grand finale. This, this is where I want to drive here. Let me continue it. There's one body, one spirit, just as y'all were called to one hope. And when all y'all were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all y'all, who is over all y'all, and through all y'all, and in all y'all. Now, there's, this is really super, it sounds like he's just like looking for similarities, like, uh, you know, synonyms and just kind of got to have a list of three, right? Of those four. But it's not. These are just incredibly crucial, crucial words. Here's the, the amazing thing that happens. Like I said that at the very beginning of my message, right? When we submit to this body, amazing things happen, not just to other people, but to us, right? When we submit to the claims God has placed on us as members of this brand new family, right? You have chores at home. You have chores in this home too. Don't think that you have chores at home and then you can come here and just, ah, oh, I'm not going to do anything. Right? Nobody wants a house guest that doesn't do anything. Kind of like it when they say, hey, I'll clean up the dishes. Woohoo! You're invited tomorrow night too. It's like, bam. When you submit to these new chores, God fills you through and through. You see that? When you submit yourself to this family, to the needs of this family, to the cries and claims of this family, God runs through you, in you, above you, all over you, right? This is called being sanctified. A lot of you want to be sanctified by listening to messages, reading your Bible, praying that big start, great start. But I really think Paul is saying here that we need to serve one another, not just our own spiritual insideness. What are we doing to serve the person in this body? Ask yourself, what task have you? What task are you fulfilling? An, an active task. How are you carrying the load for this family? What chore have you picked up? I know I'm, I, it's a mean, mean-spirited almost message, but it, it's it's the question that God's asking us. God's words asking us. When we decide to take liberties from the claims and the plans that God has for us. You rob yourself and you rob all the rest of us. Right? All y'all, you're my salvation. That's what this passage is saying. God wants to sanctify me, but he's only going to be able to do it through you all. 
by rubbing shoulders with you, by being, getting mad with you and losing my patience with you and then having to apologize to you. All of this process, I grow and I'm, I'm being sanctified. Sitting at home alone with my TV, nobody makes me mad. Well, <laughs> that was a misstatement. You got the idea anyway. I want to show you one last quote um, from my internet search. Kind of sums up what's wrong with the world. And I want you to compare it to Paul's words. It says this. I don't know who, who wrote it. Um, like faith, our desire for freedom divides us like crazy when it could unite us if we could just take a moment to care about others' freedom as much as our own. Now, that sounds all good and fine, fantastic. Here's the kicker. We need to find a good balance between what you want and what I want. That right there just, just blew me away, right? That, that just, it just blew me away. It'll be hard. I, I would submit that it's impossible, Right? To find that middle ground between what you want and I want, that, that, I don't think we're smart enough to figure that out. And if we had, Jesus wasn't needed, right? He died for no reason because we, we figured out how to get along. Listen, the only reason my marriage works is because we don't rely solely on what each of us wants, right? We got a third party involved in our marriage. And when we come to loggerheads about what love gets to win, the love of Christ gets to win. In some families, it's the person that screams the loudest. That was kind of a value in my home, too. <laughs> we all kind of talked about it, but yeah, um, people come to our house and then they leave very quickly because it's just so loud. But you got to be loud to win. Ask my wife later on. She would just like, get me out of this crazy house. When officiating at weddings, I love to include this passage from the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, same, same book. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. I tell people as they're getting married that they love each other, right? Mom and dad love them, but there will come a time when those loves clash. It just will, and they're going to need a third party who loves them more than mom and dad and more than they could even possibly love themselves. All right, this passage for me describes the total all-submitting, all-consuming, sacrificial love required to make a marriage work. But I also believe, and we don't apply it that way, but I think we should, right? This is the thing that makes friendships work too. I've mentioned this to a couple of our staff members. I'd, I'd like all of us to start treating each other like we were lovers, minus the physical intimacy and the exclusivity. But what, what, what if we treated each other like we were lovers? I know a lot of you are like, oh, oh, oh. I want to close. Listen to the words of a bunch of youth workers who allowed God to make claims on their lives and their time and their resources. And I just want you to hear firsthand from their mouth um, how it changed them. How it changed them, right? I, I recruited them to change some of the junior hires and the high schoolers, but as you're going to see, it, it, it changed them. I'm just going to go through these quickly. This is Veronica Gutierrez. She was a 16-year-old. She came to my Sunday school class, and she's all right with this. Um, her mother came to me and said she's sleeping with her boyfriend. So they would come in together, and they would just be as obvious as could be about it. Yes, we sleep together. What are you going to do about it there, Pastor Jerry? And so I would just love them and teach my lesson and chat with them, blah, blah, blah. Well, she found God, right? She, she found, and I, I recruited her to, to help. This is what she says. 
says, I, I think working with the youth has helped me get over my past events. By helping others, especially teens, puts everything back into perspective. Helps you understand that a lot of people go through the same things, but they, that they're alone. I used to explain to the teens that they aren't alone. If they reach out and take a chance, they'll find someone else who's been through it. And by God's grace, got through it. And then Brianna Bent, um, she says this, For me, being able to work with the youth has made a huge impact on my life, my spiritual life as well. It is in a way an accountability, and at the same time, I feel as if I'm helping out with these teens and trying to be a good role model. I feel like I've finally found my call to help serve the kingdom. And then there's a few pictures of their groups, their girls around their tables and so forth. And then Jonathan Piazza, and this is a crazy thing. I move up here about a year, and Jane calls me one day and says, there's some guy who got on the, the, our website and says he knows you from California. And so I got on, and it was, it was Jonathan. Hit that next slide there, you guys. It was Jonathan Piazza. He was like my key guy. He was just amazing. He says this, the most rewarding thing I've got from being a leader is seeing kids accept Christ. It's amazing how good you feel when you see someone else join the family of God. It's also very rewarding how my group sees me as a role model and as a friend. Being a leader has just been such an awesome experience, and I hope to continue to be active with the church. There's a couple of pictures of Jonathan and another, uh, Chad Stanhope, my wife and I, well, my wife, used to babysit him, little guy. And then Hannah Waddle, hit that next one there. Hannah Waddle, she says this, I've been blessed in so many ways by spending time with the kids at my table and getting to know them on a personal level. Through being a leader and being held accountable in how I act, what I do, and what I say, I have matured in my relationship with Christ and other people in my life. Being a leader is an eye-opener, period. Chrissy Herzog, once since I became a leader, my faith in God has become so much stronger. Seeing how much I impact the girls at my table every week and having the middle schoolers look up to me makes me feel more responsible when I do my devotions and read my Bible. They look up to what I do. It's like I've become a role model. Being around people who are excited to tell me how their week has been has just all made me a stronger and better person in my church. Being a leader in my church has been an experience I will never want to give up. And some pictures there. And I'm just flipped through the last couple of them. There's, I don't want to take too much time. Um, hit that last one there. These are just comments. Hit another one. One more. Another couple. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I want to close with this last one, John Bent. Keep going. One more slide. John Bent, top center, right behind there. That's me over there on the right. This is a trip to Mexico, I think. He says this, looking at my children's friends, I've realized and observed the lack of positive role models and influence many kids have in their lives. God has enabled me to be that influence. I just want to close with this idea that the church isn't meant to change the world, isn't just meant to change the world, it was meant to change us as the church as we change the world, right? In other words, God wants to change us, but it'll only happen as we join him and his church in changing the world, right? He's, he's kind of got two things going on. In redeeming the world, he redeems us. They, just, they go hand in hand. In 1782, maybe, maybe you know this. A hymn was written, Blessed be the ties that bind. This is the first line. Blessed be the ties that bind our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like that above. If you've heard of this, this hymn, the background of this hymn is this pastor and theologian had a really good job at a little parish, and a bigger one offered him more money, 
bigger-sized church, and he took it, got all packed, and then his congregation showed up at his doorstep, and they, they had words. They were really beautiful words, and he, he gave up the new position. He said, this, this kind of love, this kind of sacrificial love, like, I don't want to leave this. I don't ever want to leave this. This is, this is my home now. And, and he stayed, and he wrote this hymn, Blessed Be the Ties That Bind. What if this place were so crazy loving that nobody wanted to leave? Right? I got a better job in Spokane, but I kind of like my church family here. I'm going to stick with my cruddy job. <laughs> you bow your heads. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the community that you've given us. And the spirit, your spirit that you've given us, that, the glue that holds us all together. And the whole world has to watch and think that is impossible. Nobody else has been able to pull that off. And the church keeps getting closer and closer, closer than anybody else. So, Father, help us rise up. Help us to be your church, to be aggressive, to be as aggressive as the sons of darkness. Right? You said that in your word. If the sons of light were as aggressive and, and wise as the sons of darkness, woo-wee. But we tend to be so passive, Father, and we, we apologize for that. We, we lament that. Father, give us courage. Give us courage to build this community to the point where it's not only a bunch of us with a shared common interest, but it became an area like the Tri-Cities Father, that's our goal. That's the task that you set before us. That's our commission and our call. Father, help us to be worthy of this call. In your son's name I pray. Amen.